Do you remember the olden days of AmericOnline? People used to be so surprised when they learned what computers could do. I mean, back then, computers were like these little miracle boxes. And listen to this old ad from 1995. Every day, America Online is making it easier for people to live, work, and play. Hey, Dan, ready for the game? I'm just finishing up here with my new kayaking friends. Kayaking friends on your computer? Yeah, I just got America Online. Sounds great. Listen, I can't go to the game today. What? I've got to send something for my mom's birthday. It's tomorrow. I'll then book plane tickets for our trip next week, and my kids got to go to the library to look up dinosaurs. Hey, we can take care of all that before we go. Yeah, right. Oh, with America Online. America Online can do all that? How about sending your mom some nice flowers? That's right. Back then, you had to go to the library to research. You had to actually call the airlines for ticket information. And then you had to go to a flower store to buy a bouquet. That could take a whole day. But the internet really hit the scene and changed things. It revolutionized a ton of industries, especially the advertising industry. It's no surprise. Advertisers have always been a flexible bunch. They threw up neon lights all over the highways back in the 1950s and 60s. They scribbled ad drawings ever since on the days of yellow journalism. And nowadays, they'll even rent ships, that's right, and stick commercials on floating billboards on the beach. But in large part to the internet, advertisers can do something like never before. They can hone in on their customer base more specifically. They can target people down to their age, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, and a lot more. This means bigger bucks than ever before. The data experts over at Statistica.com say revenue from digital advertising will rake in about, listen to this, $460 billion by 2024. Whoa. Okay. In just two years, digital advertisers will make a killing just by putting out ads. $460 billion. That's incredible. All right. Let's put that into perspective. I read an article in Global Citizen that said Jeff Bezos forked over $5.5 billion to take a short trip in his Blue Origin spaceship. Well, with the amount of money that digital advertisers are set to make in 2024, you could take 83 billion trips into outer space. Okay, by that point, you'd be an expert space traveler. I mean, you could have your own Star Trek crew. But really, there's a ton of money to be made. Even if you aren't one of the power players at the very top, there's a lot of options at your fingertips. Ads can involve social media, geolocation, cookies, banners, videos, surveys, targeted email, trackers, and of course, those pop-up ads. Talking ads with us today is Premish Peral. He's got 20 years of experience in the advertising world, and he's now the CTO of a company called Freestar. I'll tell you more about that. He's been in the business through a ton of changes. And so consider this your online ads 101 course. So Prem and I are gonna break down our top secrets for advertising and online success. You're gonna learn how it works just as a consumer's perspective and also as an advertiser's perspective inside and out. But by the end of this episode, you are going to be an online advertising pro. Okay, not a pro, but you're gonna learn a lot more. I mean, maybe you'll be able to afford a trip on that Blue Origin spaceship. Come on, you want to shoot for the stars, right? So this is Kim Commando Explains. And guess what? My name is not only Kim Commando. I used to call myself, are you ready? The computer tutor with a K, of course. I mean, it's a far cry from what I go by now, which is, you know, America's digital goddess or digital diva. My husband actually came up with that. And I was like, 
what? You want me to call myself the digital goddess? That is so pretentious. Well, it works on radio. But I hope you're ready for a blast from the past because here's a TV commercial, an infomercial that I made back when Computer Tutor was hot. Okay, heads up. I sound a little different. Now here's the Computer Tutor herself, Kim Commando. Welcome to Tape One Computer Kindergarten. I'm Kim Commando. This is the way that my desk used to look. I had a Rolodex, and don't forget the whiteout. Now this is the computer, and it's covered up by a case, but that shouldn't bother you. But what is it anyway? What does it really do? It looks like a TV, but it's not a TV, just like a TV. A lot of people are using these nowadays. So what you need is something called a printer. You knew that. I know you did. Now, if this were a video, you would have seen just how tall my hair was. Oh, my gosh, back in the day. You remember, big hair was in style. And I do have to tell you, I still have that orange suit that was I wore in the infomercial, which I'm actually kind of proud to say I can still fit into. And that was, ooh, many, many moons ago. But back then, advertisers used to put these long-form commercials on television. It was like the golden ticket to success, even for folks like me who made infomercials. I mean, but back then, we didn't know who was watching. I mean, we didn't know what they were all about and what they did before, how much money they make, male, female. So we just cast this wide net. And I will tell you, from that infomercial alone, it was pretty amazing. I sold about 125,000 tapes, and they sold at about, well, it's big numbers, for about $110 each. It was really amazing. And I also started the computer section on America Online at that time. But just think about it. Imagine if we had used today's advertising tracking technologies. Wow, I probably could have sold a couple million. But let's get down to business. I'd like to welcome Prem Pural to the podcast. As I mentioned, he's the CTO of Freestar. And I will tell you, under full disclosure, this is the company that handles all the online ads over at commando.com. So Prem, let's get started just at the beginning. How do sure. advertisers decide what ads to show you? So, I mean, there's a bit of history there in terms of how that kind of happens. I mean, I think traditionally advertisers are buying uh, impressions on the internet based on data that they have accessible to them. So whether they're buying uh, a particular brand, they know they, they want to you know, advertise on Reuters.com, so they want to target those users. That's one way to approach it, just because you know the site that you want to target against. And you might know a lot about the demographic of the people that visit the site, so it's a bit arguably blind, but although you kind of know what you're getting because you know the audience per se. Um, and then, you know, that's probably reserved for the more the, the two, what we call tier one publishers that have a brand that are, that are recognizable. Past that, a lot of it ends up being just data that's collected on the user and exposed to the buy side. So when I say data, it's, you know, it can be demographic data. If someone wants to target a campaign against males, females, age groups, um, geolocation, time of day, like all this becomes ways to target. And then obviously, um, past that, you start getting into um, very particular like things about the individual users. So their buying habits, the sites they visited, the types of content that uh, that that uh, on the sites they visited, and what that implies in the user. And that's where it starts to maybe spiral into the creepy side of advertising. And that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're you're getting targeted ads that you never knew that you know that that should be kind of out there in the wild, and it kind of surprises you. But yeah, it's, it's clear across the board. I think you're right. You use the word creepy because yeah. everybody looks at it like, oh, my gosh. I mean, how many different data points do they know about me? And how did they know that I want to go hiking in Patagonia? And how did they know that I that I purchased Merrill shoes instead of whatever brand Nike or whatever other brand that you're looking at? It, do you have a sense Prem, for how many different data points 
are on an individual American that advertisers are tracking and then using to truly target these ads? So honestly, it's 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 scary because it's somewhat infinite. I mean, the amount of data that gets collected on you on the internet, and this is a changing space, if you will, over the last few years with what uh, Apple has done with Safari and what Google's going to be doing with Chrome. But ultimately, what you know, what what existed prior to that is this world where you know, conceptually, if you kind of take the, the analogy out of the advertising space, it's as if you're walking into a store to go shopping, and with the second that you do. Um, you know, your work, say it's Trader Joe's, you're walking to Trader Joe's, you want to go buy groceries, but you walk in and all of a sudden someone else hands you a ticket. It's like, oh, this is, this is, you know, it's not Trader Joe's, it's some third party company and they're handing to you, you put it in your pocket and you, you continue on shopping. Well, what ended up happening then is now that that company is able to see the things that you bought at Trader Joe's. And now you go to another site or another store and you start doing some shopping and the same company happens to be there and it's like, hey, here's a ticket again, or here's, I know who you are because I saw you before. And they start to amass data about you. So this profile around the individuals being created, you know, in these, these, in these various vendors that are able to expose them and sell. This is kind of the, you know, the, when you start getting the creepy part of it is that you go to one site, you go shopping. It's very, this is the more common example. You go on Amazon, you go search for some socks, you want to buy socks. And then all of a sudden, you know, whether it's you or my wife or someone else is using the computer and they're, on another site, it can be on Disney.com for all that matters, and all of a sudden they're, they're retargeting and trying to sell them the same socks that I looked at five minutes ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I like to um, use the example of like you know the pair of boots that you didn't want, and then yeah. suddenly the, the these ugly, yes, you yeah. Everywhere you look, you're like, I didn't want the ugly boots. I would have purchased those ugly boots. You yeah. know, th there was an example that I saw one with Scott's Turf, uh, you know, the lawn care company. That mm -hmm. they were they were trying to target a 34 to 37 year old male who yeah. lives in the Midwest, who yeah. has a, a household income of about eighty two thousand dollars. He has yeah. two children, a dog. Uh, he has visited Home Depot or Lowe's within the last physically within the last two yeah. weeks. He's actually looked up lawn care within the last 48 hours and right. he's listened to lawn care podcasts. I'm like, oh right. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, talk about finding a customer. And so, you know, from the advertiser's perspective, it really allows mm -hmm. them to fine tune. And so if you're going to be spending your dollars that you can actually go to that level of detail, i.e. creepiness, but it's not really, yeah. I mean, this is detail and yeah. this is data that the consumer is readily giving up, right? It's the data that the consumer is giving up indirectly. Um, I think that's the kind of the issue at hand now is that, you know, data is being collected without user's consent. So this is happening as you passively consume the internet, whether it's videos, content, whatever it may be. Um, and that data is kind of being collected as you travel around. And in a lot of cases, you know, you know, when you ask a question about what kind of data is being, being collected, there's lots of ways where you can actually go see this and it's actually somewhat entertaining. And in the ad tech industry, it, it is entertaining because if you go into um, a, a DMP, which is a data marketplace, these are vendors that are actually responsible for collecting this information and then ultimately exposing it to be um, transacted on from the buy side, so they can target that that you know that particular user and that geo that read some content, whatever it is. This data is being collected by them and exposed, but it's very inaccurate. So if you go look at this data today, they'll say that I'm a, you know 18 to 24, 24 to 35, 35 to you know whatever. I'm also male and I'm female and I'm in 
it's, it's an inaccurate <laughs> science, right? It collects, yeah. it kind of tries to guess information about you as you go about your business. And eventually it's, it's directionally accurate, but not a hundred percent. Right. You know, Which that's, also, that, that's yeah. also interesting because see, I, I looked at um, the, what, what Google thought I was recently. Yeah. And yeah. Google said I was a 42 year old male who was into yeah. uh, fast cars and technology and, and, it didn't have anything about being a parent or right. cooking or travel. I mean, it was just, it was really interesting to me that, you know, obviously I'm not a 42 year old male, but I do have a Ferrari. So I do like fast cars. So it didn't yeah. get that yeah. right. So some of the data points are correct, but others are not. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's all over, all over the place in terms of the accuracy, but ultimately, yeah, you, you have this, what's called a rich data set. It may not be accurate, but you have a very rich data set of data and, it can come from your direct experiences where you've gone and gone in and you visited certain sites or content and it can be somewhat indirect. Maybe you signed into a site somewhere and in that form, you provided some information, which now that's starting to get kind of you know, attached back to your graph, your profile, the other end, so that when you're on another site, that data starts to come back and you can get transacted on. And that's the, the creepy side of it, right? Where you don't, uh, the average consumer doesn't go to a site and assume that just because I'm visiting their site, Anything I do here will be, can be used and targeted against me from an advertising standpoint on some other site I go to. That's the part that's a disconnect, I think, for most. Like so the is, average it, is the tracking being primarily done in cookies or is it being also aggregated within, say, the apps that we download and nobody ever looks at the terms and conditions? Other areas, I mean, I know when we're signed into Facebook, no matter what right. we do online, that Facebook is still tracking that. I mean, so, you know, the data is coming from, like you said, like all these different places. Yeah. I mean, there's offline data. There's, you know, customers, these customer data platforms from a physical brick and mortar store. There's data from there that can be brought in. There's a point where they can, you know, combine that with anything else, with ultimately a user. When they find that match, it's stuck, right? So, you know, that's how you, you know, these are email marketing lists. Everyone has data that's out there. It's just trying to bring them together in a way where they can actually use it. So it ends up being very, very, you know, like different types of data all over the place, whether it's collected on, on you know, through web browsing or it's just full on just through a, a brick and mortar store pulling data in. Like it's pretty impressive. It's, and it's not a, a trivial process and of course not very accurate. So now there are, so there are different types of, Digital advertising, right? We have social mm -hmm. media ads, paid search, native uh, display advertising, yep. and and when with all this data tracking, obviously it influences what we see on all these different platforms, right? Yes, yeah, it's kind of hundred percent utilized across all those platforms, and ultimately, I mean, it's the ecosystem that was built, uh, you know, in that way where advertising started off being very contextual because that's all you had; you can just advertise the content you can advertise obviously geos and insights but you know nothing about the user um and then that's what evolved i'll be on the backs of third-party cookies because you can start building these massive data sets no one wants to buy you know car enthusiasts if that date that that segment has 500 people in it they're like that's not gonna you know sure. move the needle if it's a five million a five million person bucket of people that moves that's, that's starting to get some size and you can actually drive a campaign behind it so scale, you know, led into that as well. But, you know, the way third-party cookies function today, at least where it is available, like that's really what helped kind of progress the ad industry to where it is. And, the, you know, everything that's been built around it has to do with targeting. It's people-based advertising. That's what the, you know, the entire ecosystem is built on, is advertising to the individual user 
for the most part in terms of buying that user because you know that they're the user that went to you know Home Depot on the weekend and read an article over the over you know about something in the past week and all those things like those are things that are we've trained the industry that this is valuable and you can go buy it and here it is and now you know, we're we're you know, we're kind of encroaching a time period a period in time now where that's going away and it kind of has just to a large extent on the on the safari side so we're, we're the whole industry now is really having to kind of shift on how we approach targeting uh how we approach frequency capping all this stuff is, is looks quite a bit different in two years so what exactly did apple do with safari so apple uh removed the ability to set third-party cookies the analogy i gave earlier as far as you walk in Peter joe's and Someone, someone else hands you a ticket that doesn't work at Trader Joe's and that's how they're tracking you, Apple's effectively cut that whole piece off. They don't allow, if the site that you're visiting is the only site that can drop cookies directly, everyone else, those cookies go away. And what that prevents is the ability for that third-party vendor to identify you across sites. So your data, your interactions are, it's a contract with your you and the site, you're consuming content, they can show you, you know, a, a UI to say acknowledge consent for data they collect or whatever it is, but that's on their site and that's what you're kind of acknowledging. But ultimately, like what Safari did, and we saw this on the ad on the ad you know, ecosystem side about two years ago, you know, whenever it happened, you know, CPMs and revenue on the uh, Safari side dropped about sixty percent because this is where you have an entire industry built on targeting using this data that, for all intents and purposes, half of it that just disappeared overnight. So now they're just spending on the Android side because ultimately that's where it is still present. And that's obviously the concern with uh, Chrome dropping, you know, the, doing this is essentially the same thing is that you know, on the on the pub side, everyone's worried about what next, like if the other shoe drops, does that mean everything goes away? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is very interesting what Apple has done. I mean, I remember that ad that they had at CES. Oh, probably it's just like, everything's now like pre-pandemic, right? It's like, yeah. oh, before the yeah. pandemic, is that they had that ad up on the side of a building in Las Vegas that said, we value your privacy. Yeah. yeah, and everybody was yeah. like, "Yeah, sure you do. Yeah, you're selling it just like." And now, when you're on an iOS device, you like you said, you have that sense of privacy. Also, you can hide your email, so you're not giving away your email address. But we're going to talk right. a little bit later on about how you do have some choice in the matter, and as far as web choices and ad choices, and also we're going to get into like the different types of ads that are out there, like, you know, social media marketing and content marketing and email marketing and mobile marketing. So, you know, whether you're a consumer that you are looking at these ads and getting these ads, or you're a small business to large business that you're trying to figure out how to make the most from your advertising campaigns on the internet, you want to stay right where you are because we have a lot more Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We are deciphering everything that you need to know that's important about online marketing and online advertising and why you see some ads and how you have some choices in the matter of whether or not you are going to opt in or opt out to this massive collection of data. And joining us is Prem Peral. And Prem, you are, what is your title there at Freestar? I'm the CTO here at Freestar. And what does a CTO do? <laughs> so basically, I run everything around underneath. Well, I own product and engineering at Freestar, so our company direction in terms of where our business is going from the technical side, um, and then obviously our engineering team itself. So a lot of it is driven around you know the high level direction of the company. Talking about identity, talking about you know server side exchange versus client side and our approach around it. So it's really all encompassing. Freestar is a a you know an ad, an ad agent or ad servicing company. We service 
we service publishers, we bring them our demand, we manage all of it, you know, as, as a white glove service. So really, you know, managing all the tech behind this, you know, be it the, the code on page, their, their actual dashboard, where they see revenue, real-time revenue being reported, and the app SDK, the, I mean, it, it kind of varies all over the place in terms of how our, all our execution environments, but ultimately everything that's technology um, on the Freestar side falls in under myself. And then in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Commando.com has been a partner of Freestar for many, many years. And yes. uh, and what Freestar does for us, ladies and gentlemen, is something called like <laughs> pre-header bidding. And Prem, I'll let you explain what that is. Yeah, sure. So header bidding, um, and it's, you know, a notion that's been around for six, seven years now, and it's evolved quite a bit. But prior to that, you know, the, the, the typical way that uh, ad demand was kind of served on the internet using Google Ad Manager, which is your primary ad server that most publishers use. Google has their own demand. That's kind of your primary demand source for most publishers to bring in other demand sources, which are other, you know, we call them SSP, supply side platforms. That's how you bring competition and obviously increase your overall um, uh, revenue. The approach before was something that was called waterfall, which ultimately means you're trying to figure out the best combination. If you try to serve an ad and it doesn't fill, which means it served nothing, it passes back and tries to load something else. And you, we had, you know, on the ad op side, we had to play a game where we're trying to decide what's the best order to run things in. Well, with header bidding, all this kind of went away. It brought, it brought transparency to you know, the entire ecosystem and the publishers in particular, where you know, the concept now is, you know, as a visitor, a consumer, you visit a site, say the site has a single ad unit on there just to make it simple. As soon as the site loads, that ad unit, you know, using uh, a framework called Prebid, and ultimately there's companies that wrap that with provide other functionality, but at its core, it's Prebid. Where at that point, based on what the configuration says, we'll make a call out to one to many demand sources to auction off that inventory in real time. You may we may say that there's you know you get half a second, one second, it doesn't matter. It's all ultimately up to how we want to optimize the site, but we'll give it an auction time call out to as many demand partners as we as we can. Those those responses come back with an you know, a bid, which is an actual value for that ad, the creatives for the ad. And then you know the uh, pre-bid framework takes that, takes it all up, pushes pushes it up to uh, Google Ad Manager to decision. It's actually run the auction, the final auction, and that comes back and serves an ad. So it's a full round trip. But the main you know differentiator here in terms of what's changed is that real time auctioning that's happening on page, as opposed to in the past you kind of had to just run them through tags and see what you see what you get. So now okay, you have the now. Ability. Now, what's fascinating to me, Prem, is how yeah. fast that happens. Okay, yeah. so yeah. I mean, so you hit a website, and this yep. header is all this bidding is happening, and yeah. whoever pays the most, that ad is going to be shown on that site. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you have a sense of like how many nanoseconds all this is taking? It's it's quite mind-boggling the speed this is going at. We actually, you know, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but we had a, a hackathon in our engineering team a couple months ago, and one of the devs put together the this something called the sound of bidding, right? Where they just all the little bids that come in from what I just explained as it comes in in real time, they all come in, you know, you'd say a second and a half, they come in in varying times. They could be 20 bids coming in, you know, for example, and we assign bids and bid values to like a musical note. And then you just start and you play that on a page and you it's quite mind-boggling how chatty it is obviously in terms of the amount of bids that go back and forth and the value of those bids but it is very fast it's obviously a lot more and this is the benefit of it happening you know obviously in a browser using your computer all happening in real time 
talking to multiple endpoints all in, you know somewhat concurrently and and you know shoving that into one second right for one it's ad unit such, in, this, in real time it's phenomenal Door, i mean send it across come back serve an ad and obviously the net result is you load a page and for a split second there's nothing in the you know in the top right corner and next thing you know there's a king kim commando ad shown to you which is, you know, it's just phenomenal to me how this all happens, because how yeah. many different advertising networks are competing for that one position? I mean, and they have big names like AOL and Yahoo and Google. And, um, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean when you, it's, it's incredible. 20 can be upwards of 20 different demand partners competing for that on different sides uh, of the, the, the request. Sure. Uh, okay. So, so, so we have the person who's listening. So if you're listening right now, so we have all these data points on you. We have all these networks that are competing <laughs> to show right. you that one ad, okay, based yep. on all this data that you have willingly or unwillingly or unknowingly or knowingly given up. And when you are doing this header bidding, which is why we first reached out to Freestar, like I said, many years ago, um, we saw a significant lift in revenue because of the have, being able to do this bidding process. That's right. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a huge advantage because you get the real time. You're able to decision in real time and find the highest value. Whereas our approach prior was find the best average value, right? Essentially, you're trying to optimize for the masses as opposed to optimize for the individual. And header bidding lets you choose the highest bid for that actual person on the page as opposed to, well, we're mostly U.S. traffic, so this is the best way to kind of run. So I saw a list many years ago. Uh, that was showing the highest cost per click for Google AdWords. Um, do they still have that list? I remember like insurance was at the top. Um, yes. And I think it was like medical marijuana was also at the top. Are, are there some like really expensive keywords that are still yes. out there? Generally, anything that is um, you know, intended to kind of convert or be a lead gen for something tends to have a lot more value, right? So you know, auto intenders, for example, someone that's about to buy a car, the most expensive segments to go traffic against. Why? Because if you convert them, obviously a huge payoff, right, on the other end of that. So you have these industries that are generally going to be, um, you know, lead gen or, you know, selling a product or whatever else, where they typically pay very, very high CPMs because they're looking for a conversion, whereas brand buys are obviously not, they're not trying to convert you. They're just trying to make sure you see their brand across the internet because, you know, they want you to eventually go and recognize them and purchase you know, one of their products later. It's a very, very different experience. And that does make sense, because if you are just doing lead generation, then yeah. you are going to make more money along the way, obviously, yes. if you're selling a car than if you're just selling some point of contact. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about cost per click. Um, <laughs> what is a good CPC right now? And I guess it depends upon again what the what exactly you're trying to target, what you're trying to get to. Yeah, because uh, it all depends on the you know, like a CPC. A lot of it has to do with the you know the, the value of that inventory. Because some inventory that you wanted to, to target to might be a lot more expensive. So auto inventory is more expensive, right? It is more competitive. Um, so the CPCs there would be a lot higher than a blog about uh, you know cooking or something like that, where it's just, they're just completely different ballgames. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's a. So being the CTO of Freestar. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is next? Identity, honestly, is one of the biggest pieces. I mean, so I mentioned, you know, I was alluding earlier, 
uh, Safari drop third-party cookies on the um, you know uh, Chrome side that's intended to be you know cut out next year. So publishers in general are very you know curious and worried about. Well, again, you saw we saw on the ad tech side uh, CPMs drop 40, 50, 60 percent on when Safari when the cookies drop. So the natural assumption is that that's going to happen when when Chrome drops, and that's you know 80, 90 percent of your traffic. So what's going to happen, right? Um, this solving for this in 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 solving for identity in particular is kind of the big path for us in 2022 in particular, and it's not a a single solution. It's something that we've kind of come to realize and been speaking more about. Everyone wants to talk about how do you replace third party cookies. Um, ultimately, third party cookies was an enabler, as we kind of talked earlier, for a bunch of other technologies that then the ad tech you know community and ecosystem built on top of. So now what we're trying to do is how do you make this whole again without using third-party cookies? And you know, personally, I'd love to. I love approaches that are not identifying users because when you take a step back and look at what Safari did, it's actually, or okay. Apple did, it's actually with, with good purpose of trying to, yeah. you know, protect your data and not have it be shared without your consent. Um, and I think these are important things. I think it's a hard problem to solve, but ultimately, trying to stay true to that, I think, is, is very important for, you know, the ad the ad industry as a whole to. Try to, uh, try to try to embrace. So, going into this year, solving for identity, we're, we're working on partnerships to bring in data that is consented or inferred, but not obviously collected on the user. On that end, build these data partnerships to go and 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 on the Freestar side, actually go and create, you know, whether it's PMPs, pro, uh, programmatic guarantees, and, and mm -hmm. things like that, or push through up through our newly acquired SSP. So this is on the sortable side, which we acquired last year. This is where we want to. Really make a mark. I think we're in a, we're in a unique position because, like the the exchange side, the ads. You know, you mentioned. Um, I think you said uh, it was a Yahoo and AOL, but not as SSPs. So you know, Freestar. Now we have an SSP similar in that regard, where we can bring demand in. We're in a unique position where we have code on page and we have access to the SSP. So we're we really will do things that most you know, um, and most companies can't even will do because they're just, they don't have that type of integration. Well, when we come right back, we're going to talk about how you really have a choice in the matter. And, in, you yes. know, how maybe blocking third-party cookies and tracking is about one thing, but how do you not be subject to tracking to begin with? And so you want to stay right where you are because of that. We have a lot more coming up. And also, we're going to talk about maybe a way that you can actually make money off of your data. Here with Kim Commando Explain. Hey, we're in conversation here with Kim Commando Explains with Prem Pural. He's the CTO of Freestar, which is a magnificent company. If you, whether you have a small, medium, large company, uh, we're going to tell you more about how you can get in touch with Prem and, and Freestar later on. But let's talk about how consumers actually have a choice for just a few minutes here, Prem. Um, we can block third-party cookies and we can use ad choices and web choices and uh, ad choices from the Digital Advertising Alliance, which is this whole group of advertising and marketing companies that they want to say that you have a choice in targeted advertising. And so whenever you see an ad and there's an ad choices icon in there, it looks like a blue triangle with a lowercase i in the middle. You can get more information about the ad. You can change settings. You can block the ad. And not all advertisers participate in this, but now you'll know what that means when you see that symbol. But now with web choices, Basically, it's going to scan your browser settings, your computer. It's going to look for first-party, third-party cookies, and then a list of companies, and you can actually opt out. 
uh, of many companies for just one step. And you can go to opt out. We'll give you the address over at commando.com, but it's optout.aboutas.info. Does that really work, Prem? <laughs> it's a great question, to be honest. And, you know, that, the, unfortunately, the answer, even from my point of view, is it's not clear, right? I think it's, it, these are great starts and the, the intention is, is very clear. And I think what we want to be putting out there from you know, the ad tech industry point of view, the reality is, is that the underlying, the underbelly of the ad tech industry isn't as transparent, right? Which is a problem. Um, so, you know, opting out, but still sending your data through the system, you're basically saying you're sending a signal and saying, don't collect this. And it's, and we're based, and at that point, it's like, it's an honor system, obviously, all the way down, you know, potentially. So that's where I personally kind of take issue with it in that, like, it's, it's a good start, but there's no real enforcing body kind of behind it yet. Right. right. Um, but a lot of, uh, you know, where the, the, the kind of industry is going around, uh, around all this is to provide some level of enforcement. So this data isn't accessible the way that it is today. Right. Third party cookies was the, by far and large, the, the, the one of the biggest enablers for this quote unquote problem. So, you know, by losing it or getting rid of it is, is definitely a, a, a pretty big blow and be able to the ability to do that. The problem is you have vendors and stuff out there that are just trying to literally replace the functionality of a third party cookie, which basically means they want to be able to identify you individually, regardless of what site you're on or what environment you come in. And that's the part that, uh, you know, kind of defeats a purpose, if you will, in terms of if that were to kind of go through and we just, re we as an as a industry replace third party cookies with another unique identifier, it completely defies the whole point. I think that's the part that we're, you know, we're all hoping to get right, you know, in hoping we have to get right, obviously, as we go forward here. So we have a solution that solves for both sides of this. It's not just, uh, a publisher concern, I mean, a, a consumer concern, because that obviously is an issue and you want to be able to to uh, respect data privacy, but it's also how do you get, you know, from the buy side, how do you get spend to come across, uh, yes. you know, properly and efficiently? And it's not just targeting, it's also as simple as frequency capping, just making sure that you, you know, Kim, don't see the same ad 10 times throughout the day across four different sites. Well, they had to know it's you to do that, right? Right. Otherwise, no idea. So it's, Certain things you're like, well, that doesn't seem like it's it's much of an issue, but it actually is impactful. That would just you know force the advertiser to spend a lot more than they would need to because you're just going to see them again and again until you see them enough times in one place to really start blocking them out. So, is there are there any movements in Washington D.C. to put some legislature around this or some rulings and laws? I mean, I know we have you know in California and in Europe. But is there anything new that we should be aware of? Not that I'm aware of. I think the the, the CCPA side on the California side was it's a good start for sure. And I, I mean, I'll just fundamentally, the, I think the we on the U.S. side are a bit further behind on this. Right? Sure, we um, are. Absolutely. It's just the reality of it. And it's great to see California. And I think there's a few other states that are kind of falling in line as well to start doing that. I would say that how... Um, you know, on the GDPR side, how it's being enforced and everything else is a lot more than CCPA, whereas on the California side, it still seems like it's somewhat optional. It's not like you get a degradation in, in revenue performance if you don't have one, whereas in the EU, if you're not using a, you know, a CMP, um, you know it pretty quickly. So there is a movement 
and I've been studying it pretty closely about how maybe we could get to a point where we could actually control our data. So we could look at all the data that's about us online and we could say, okay, um, I'm going to release this information to my insurance company, but I'm not going to release this information to uh, anybody on the internet. Um, I'm not going to release this information. So you can kind of go through almost like a credit report and say, yes, this yeah. is right about me. This is wrong. Uh, I, I'm okay with people knowing I have two kids and a golden retriever, but I don't want them to know that you know, my husband had a heart attack or whatever it was. Okay. And the thought is, is that now we can control our data because it's a commodity and it, there's a value associated with that. And the right. number that I saw was that a family of four could make about $24,000 a year by selling their data or at least saying, yes, I'm going to let you have this data. How far away do you think we are from such a system? I love that idea of it. I've been talking about it kind of indirectly for a while, not the selling part, but the controlling part, because I think that's what misses, that's missing. The problem is, is that as much as I do think that it's important for a consumer to be able to see what's available or what's um, you know being stored about them and being made available um, and being able to regulate that and decide, you know, pick and choose what you want to expose, I think that's exactly what needs to happen. The problem is you know, it kind of goes back to the question I asked earlier, like how many data points are being collected and what's there? It's infinite, right? So a, a UI that you'd have to put together in front of a, a consumer to display the amount of information that could be collected to them and expose the ability to kind of give them the granularity to choose, pick and choose individual, uh, you know, data points and then which companies, sites, places you want to make sure that it's accessible to like in my own head and I'm fully in tech, like that's a very, very complicated UI. Yes. That the average yes. consumer would never be able to get their, their head over, right? Yes. And that's that's part of the problem in that like, yeah, we can, it's not, it's not if we can do this, I think that's doable, but the reality is that's not, I don't think that's the solution that would really, you know, change anything because ultimately you're gonna get, and it's similar to GDPR, you see this, you know, you look at GDPR acceptance rates, most people accept them. They don't even read the details. They're like, yeah, okay. Move <laughs> on. That's just the way the world works. So you might see very similar things. You put out this great complicated UX and, you know, 70% of, or if not, maybe not that much, 30% of the population is like, yeah, okay, fine. Yes. But that kind of just, you gave them a great granular tool that literally, you know, it's like the worst thing you do is just hand the keys away at that point because everything's exposed. Right. Yeah. Um, and it goes along the same way. Like when you install an app you go, I yeah. agree. Right. Yeah. I yeah. agree. I, I don't know what I had just agreed to, but I agree. <laughs> you know, it's so it's, it's, a, it's that's the thing. And it's, it's a little bit like, you know, whether it's you know, when you talk about regulations or, you know, where this is coming from, it's a little bit trying to protect the user of the damage they don't know they can cause themselves. Right. Um, yeah, that's and I true. think that's it's it's hard because I think everyone likes the idea that of I don't want. I want to keep my data private. I don't want to, you know, the whole creepy ads falling on the internet. I think everyone gets that part. They, they've experienced it, but the reality of actually managing that is, it just seems like it's not something that, at least the way it's been presented so far, not that scalable. It's a problem. It's going to be tough. Like you said, I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's just, it'll be tough to implement, be tough to control. It'll be tough to get the, you know, the average consumer to say, yes, I want to do this. Yes. You're just going to have a very, very small percentage of people. And yeah. I think for the most part, and I don't mean to sound mean, uh, about this, but 
a lot of people are just too lazy, you know, or yeah. they don't care or they don't want to know or they just want to be able to get what they they want to be able to go on Facebook or do whatever they want to do without having to go jump through a whole bunch of hoops. Prem, thanks for joining us. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Prem. Let me tell you, online advertising has evolved so much since the early 90s. That's when Wired Magazine's digital affiliate ran the web's first banner ad. As they say on Wired.com, go ahead, blame us. The internet hasn't been the same since, I'll tell you that. But as these technologies continue to evolve, you can bet your bottom dollar that advertisers will craft new techniques and change. Have you ever heard of Futurama? It's a cartoon made from the same folks who brought us, yes, The Simpsons. Well, in the show, a character who visits the future is shocked when his dreams are just full of commercials. Didn't you have ads in the 20th century? Well, sure, but not in our dreams. Only on TV and radio. And in magazines. And movies. And at ball games. And on buses. And milk cartons. And t-shirts. And bananas. And written on the sky. But not in dreams. No siree. Luckily, we're a far cry away from that. Well, at least now. Hey, listen, thanks for listening. And if you learned just one thing, make sure that you give us a nice five-star review wherever you do get your podcasts. And also just a quick reminder that you want to subscribe and follow this podcast. So every time we send out a new one, you are the first one to get it. And also just quick reminder, this is not the three-hour Kim Commando show that you hear on over 425 top stations from coast to coast. You can get that as a commercial-free podcast and webcast on Apple's podcast. Just search for Kim Commando Show, not Kim Commando Explains, Kim Commando Show. Or you can get it over at getkim.com. And thanks for listening, and thanks for joining us.